0: Good morning. Uh, those of you who are guests with us, you in your package, you got an outline, you can pull those out. We'll be in the Bible in, uh, and by the way, if you don't have a Bible, you can go out to the blue tent, they'll give you one, it's the NIV translation, which is the one that I tend to use in the room, so you can please take advantage of that, we really like you to bring your Bibles or have it on your digital devices or whatever. We will be in 1 Samuel chapter 20, so you can begin to go there, we'll be there first and then later on we'll be in Psalm 27, so those are kind of the two places in Scripture that we will be And we start this series called Prayer, Trusting God in a Hurting World. How many of you live in a hurting world? (laughs) Some of us, it's more current uh, than others, but yeah, always, right? Like when life seems out of control. And we're going to talk most specifically about fear and prayer and worship as a response to it. But fear, I want you to think about a time in your life when you were really, really afraid And that may be now you may want to wrap your mind around some issue in your life right now that you're scared of but i want to talk with you about a time in my life and my wife teresa's life when we were incredibly afraid it was a very difficult time and it involved our grandson one of our grandsons his name's cody he is now a marine this is him today he is stationed at camp pendleton i'm super proud of him he's an amazing young marine he loves the marine corps Uh, he already told me last week that he wants to reenlist and and uh perhaps pursue it as a career and maybe do it like, you know, you did and like become an officer and everything. So it's really cool. Uh, And so this is him today. I asked him to send me a cool picture of you today. (laughs) And so he sent me this, which I thought was very cute, you know. (laughs) Um, uh, But Cody's life has been a very, very difficult life Uh, because when he was young, my son, Michael, and his mom divorced. They married and divorced, but they had Cody. And this is a picture, by the way, of Cody when he was nine uh, years old. He's so cute. It's amazing. He has the cutest smile. Anyway, (laughs) um, this is a picture of him when he was nine. And uh, his mom's name's Joy. And Joy eventually had this man live with her named Marlon. And Marlon was a very troubled soul. And uh, from the ages of seven till ten, Marlon began to abuse Cody uh, physically and emotionally. And it took a while for us to discover this because of just the secret and the way that in in abuse families, in abuse homes, just like addiction homes, there's always the secret and there's the keeping of the secret, which takes enormous emotional uh, energy to keep track of the secrets. But this is how it works in family systems. Abuse always is this way because you're never allowed to tell. Um, And and of course, uh, joy and this man who was abusing him, Marlon, they were not married, and so that set it all up for a more precarious situation. Teresa and I discovered it probably we, we began to have some suspicions pretty, pretty quickly, uh, but uh, and this is where I learned a lot about CPS and law and judges and the way the system works. because one of the things that happened, probably nine months into this series uh, season, was a joy my son's former wife got a a restraining order executed on him. And when that happens, it absolutely limited Michael's participation in Cody's life. So it kept the secret safe, and that was the motivation behind the restraining order, was to execute the restraining order, which then kept Nani and Gramps, I go by Gramps, out of the picture. And so we were all of a sudden kind of kept out. We couldn't pick him up from school. We couldn't be involved in his life. I used to go and help in his sco- uh, class, and, and I couldn't do that anymore. So we were all like X'd out of his life and didn't really know why yet. And as time went on, we became more and more aware just in casual ways of his abuse. Uh, At one point, he was sent to school and Marlon had strangled him uh, on the throat and left marks. And so he was sent to school with these marks on his on his neck like this, and the teacher observed it, sent him to the nurse, the school nurse, who then called CPS, and CPS because we had alerted CPS, CPS had become involved in this, but they were very good at keeping the secret. And so even at that physical evidence point, uh, that it was still not enough to tip the table. Uh, we had of course engaged a lawyer. I believe that lawyer cost me $423 an hour. I had that lawyer for two years fighting this case. It almost bankrupted me. But it was worth it. Cody's worth it. <laughs> and look at him today, right? And that's a part of his God story. And by the way, I always ask Cody, I asked him this week, I said, Cody, is it okay for me to share your God story? He says, absolutely, Gramps. He's really into his God story. This is, this is why I say your weakness becomes your greatest strength. Your toolkit of brokenness becomes your tool bag of ministry and Cody's very open about this story. He shared this story all the way into the Marine Corps. Every person that met him, his, you know, the person who recruited him, everybody along the line because they really delved into abuse and they were shocked at how well he did. He went through lots of Christian therapy and all kinds of stuff. But during this time, you know, when when he was really being abused, it was such an incredibly scary time for me. And I just I I was all over the map emotionally, and fear really grabbed me, and it really kind of made me, um, I don't know, kind of the wheels come off a bit for me, and that's, that's why when life becomes chaotic, it's natural for fear to creep in. It's, it's just a normal part of life, and we all deal with it all the time in greater and lesser degrees, and I mean, that's a pretty gnarly time of my life, probably the most uh, gnarly time of my life in terms of dealing with fear, I would think. And it went on forever, so it was a terrible time. But I want you to think of your life right now. What are things that you're afraid of? Like, what fears do you have right now in your life? It could be anything, it could be some kind of illness or whatever that you're battling with and struggling with. It could be a, a, a parent that you're about to lose, a child that you're about to have. <laughs> that would, to me, if I was a girl, that would be the scariest time of my whole life, having a baby, watching my belly grow. <laughs> that things gonna come out of me ah! <laughs> whatever it could be it could be anything uh, it could be you're getting out of the military or you're getting PCS like uh, we prayed for this couple last weekend Adam and Cassandra they were here for years and years and years got PCS to Virginia just, you know and they have kids still and you know the whole drama of that but I want you to wrap your mind around what it is for you it could be finance uh, you're afraid to have the, the conversation about money in your family system uh, number one reason given for divorce in America is Money, finance, number one. Uh, so, you know, whatever. It could be a, a courageous conversation that you need to have with a friend or a spouse or a kid or whatever. All kinds of things scare us in life. And it's normal for fear to creep in. But it's, the deal is this. What is it that God's called us to in the midst of our fear? What is, what is it that we're to do, okay? Now, we're going to look at David's life today, and we're going to look at how, kind of like how not to do it. Okay, we're going to look at David's weakness. We often talk about David's strength. <laughs> He's a man after God's own heart. He's anointed by, the king, by Samuel, the prophet, to be the king. He's 15 when he gets anointed to be the king. But for 15 years, literally, he is in this time between the times, and he's wrestling with who he is, who God is most particularly, and the jeopardous relationship that he's in with the king Saul. Because Saul becomes incredibly jealous of David. And so David's on the run in the scene that we're going to look at. And we, the, the deal is this, you guys. We can't let fear lead us to make foolish choices. Now, this is the temptation when we get scared. To make foolish choices, a lot of it revolves around the idea of control. Okay, so this is the wrong path. All right, go in your Bibles with me. We're going to be in First Samuel chapter twenty. Now, where in history are we, Pastor Mike? We are backing up from where we were last week. We are back in the United Kingdom time. We are uh, roughly ten twenty B.C. So we're jumping backward to what three thousand years in time, three thousand plus, three thousand thirty-nine. whatever you know you do the math i'm I'm lousy at math anyway (laughs) we're around that time okay so we're a long long time ago this is in the time of the united kingdom before israel in the north judah in the south Uh, the the kingdom is not split yet david's been appointed the king but he's not operating as the king and saul has become incredibly jealous at david's popularity and so David's struggling and he's scared. Now he's probably, I peg him to be around 19, 20 years old in this, in this particular story that we're in. So he's a young man. So we can't be too hard on him, but he definitely, you know, uh, you know makes a mess of things. And, and we'll see it as we go along. Look at verse 1. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1. Then David fled from Naath at Ramah, and that's, by the way, where the school of the prophets live. Okay, this is where Samuel lives in Ramah, just FYI. It's a very famous place in this time period, Ramah, because of those prophets. And Samuel, he was like a super powerful prophet, for lack of a better word, very used by God. Anyway, and you can read about him in the last chapter in chapter 19. Uh, So, and he went to Jonathan. Now, Jonathan is Saul's son, and Jonathan and David really love each other. They're like BFFs, okay? They're like super tight, super close together, but there's a dynamic going on because David, remember, is anointed to become the king, but not yet uh, functioning as the king. So, here we go. And he goes to Jonathan, and he asks, what have I done? what is my crime? How have I wronged your father? That's Saul, okay? How have I wronged Saul that he's trying to take my life? Now, Jonathan doesn't believe him, okay? He doesn't believe that his dad is trying to kill David. So he says, never, Jonathan replied. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without confiding in me, which is true enough, but not in this case. Why would he hide uh, this from me? It's not so, but David took an oath, and in the ancient world, that was like a big deal to take an oath. It would sort of be analogous to when you go to a court of law and you place your hand on the Bible and, you know, you, you repeat the oath. Uh, so he, he took an oath. David took an oath and said, your father knows very well that I have found faith. Do, do we still put our hands on a Bible when we go to make testimony in a court? Do we? Okay. Just, I was just curious. That'll be interesting in the future, won't it? We're living in a world that will increasingly call that into question. Just saying. Haven't done that. Haven't been in a jury for a long time either. Anyway, uh, but David took an oath, said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in his eyes, and he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this, or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only one step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. So David said, look, tomorrow is the new moon festival. Uh, by the way, uh, God, uh, in the giving of the law, uh, captures the new moon f- religious ceremonies of the world religions. Very fascinating. Uh, he captures something that was very occultic, if I could put it, and, and makes it and pulls it into the, the spiritual system of the Israelites in the ancient world. Just sort of fascinating, I think. Like new moon it was also the way in which their calendar worked uh, in the ancient world it's just sort of I, I thought that was trippy um this week in my research i really never studied that before this week so it's just interesting i know i'm just a geek whatever i just thought it was cool um kind of like christmas trees if you think forward in history right why do we have christmas trees it was in fact an occultic practice back in the day right and so the church that thought let's grab it and make it a part of our tradition Because God's the creator of trees, just like moons, like rainbows. Think about it. So David said, look, tomorrow is the noon moon festival, and I am supposed to uh, dine with the king, but let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him, David, now he's involving Jonathan in the lie, okay, so here we go. Spin, spin, spin. Um, If your father misses me at, uh, at all, tell him, David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, where he's from, his hometown, because an annual sacrifice is being made there for his whole clan. If he says, very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, loses his mind, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant, for you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. If I am guilty, then kill me yourself. Why hand me over to your father? And then Jonathan says, says, never. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David asked, who will tell me, uh, who will t- who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? Come, Jonathan said, let's go out into the field. So they went there together. So again, the drama sort of begins because David's scared, and he's acting out of this. He's, he's acting out of his fear, and he's doing things that really are that, that don't really involve God. He's, it's like he's forgotten the place of God in this. So, so what are the, some of the ways that fear affects your choices? Okay, like when you fear things, what is it that you tend to do? What are the habits, the ways in which you break ethics and do crazy things that get you in trouble down line? Like this one, we lie to protect ourselves we lie to protect ourselves <laughs> and that's often fear-based that's why we lie that's why we lie he involves Jonathan in his lie he's panicking he's freaking out he's reacting but this is how we do it now I know what you're saying you're saying to yourself you're lying to yourself right now oh I never lie I have a list of lies Google it 20 most common lies I don't lie. Here's one. You're in marriage counseling, and you say, it's all her fault. Is it ever all her fault? No. Write it down in your notes. I'll save you hundreds of dollars of therapy. No. It's never all her fault. Um, Oh, here's one. Those kids make me so mad who's in charge of your anger? Everybody point to yourself. Repeat after me. I am. See, no one makes you mad. No one makes you. I mean, we say it. It's an idiom, right? That makes me so mad. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're making a choice based upon presuppositions and expectations. Thus, you are getting angry. Now, is all anger sin? Pastor Mike, no, not all anger is sin. In fact, the Bible says be angry and sin not. I just only do that very rarely. My kids made me mad. Whatever. Oh, here's a lie. Oh, I already did that. <laughs> when you know stinking well that you have never, you didn't do it yet. Oh, I already took care of it, honey. Maybe it's only me. Um, oh, this one. You come home after a work party. I only had one beer. <laughs> You're totally lying. <laughs> oh, oh, this one. I did this one this week. Ring. Hey, where are you? Oh, I'm on my way. <laughs> I was in a meeting with Pastor Danny. I'm on my way. I was. Ish, whatever. Um, oh, I get this one. I love this one. Uh, this was a kind of Christian one, but uh, I love this one because when somebody comes to me and they tell me they're dating because they don't know yet, but one of the first questions that's going to come out of me, what's the, what's the question that I ask? are they a believer? Like, they are, are they a Christ follower? And then they say, always, they always say to me, oh, totally, Pastor Mike. <laughs> and they're often not, <laughs> you know. Like I said, I think a couple of weeks ago, just because you stand in a garage doesn't make you a car. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. Whatever. Uh, this one, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. And you totally don't. You tell them that you're going to pray for them, and then you forget all about them. And then if you see them again in a week, like at church or something, you go, dang, I totally that's why generally, if I have time, I'll pray for them right on the spot, because I don't like to let the opportunity pass. Anyway, uh, <laughs> oh, this one, uh, traffic was nuts. <laughs> but you were just late because you were doing your hair, which I don't have that problem. Um, oh, Oh, this one, just this last one. Oh, I totally have been having my devotions. And you haven't been having your devotions. So we lie, we lie, we lie, Um, and and, and we all become this, you know, we all become this. So David's lying, and he's involving Jonathan in his lie, which is no joke, okay? Then we begin scheming, scheming and taking matters into our own hands. Look at uh, verses 12 through 17. Verses 12 through 17, it says this. Then Jonathan said to David, by the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father by this time one day after tomorrow. If he is favorably, be, favorably disposed toward you, will I not send you word and uh, let you know? But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. May the, and notice how they're getting kind of religious in their... Uh, lying, if you will. <laughs> okay. <laughs> may the Lord be with you, as he has been with my father. But show me unfailing kindness like that of the of the Lord as long as I live, so that I may not be killed, and do not ever cut your kindness from off from my family. Now let me explain something to you for just a second. So let's just put your finger there. Um, in the ancient world If a er non-bloodline king were to take over another king's kingdom, like in this case, David is of the tribe of Benjamin, Saul is not, so in their world, now I'm not saying this is a, a, a Israelite thing or a law thing or a God thing in the Old Testament. I'm just saying this is a culture thing. So if a king takes over from another king, the king coming in not only kills the king, he kills the entire family line of the king. You wipe out the family. That's why Jonathan's saying this. It wouldn't be readily apparent to us, but that's, why, that's what's happening in this story. Uh, so so you, would, you would kill, and you see this later on in Israelite history, especially in the period of the divided kingdom where the incoming king kills the king and all of his kids and family. They annihilate them. And that's what uh, Jonathan's worried about, okay? So let's go back to reading. Pick it up at verse 15. And do not uh, cut o- ever cut off your kindness from my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord uh, call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as himself. So he's scheming in this scene. They're developing this whole scheme by which to basically protect themselves. And they're they're losing touch with where God is in this process. They're taking things into their own hands. And I totally relate with this. Because when Marlon was abusing my grandson, I wanted to hurt him badly. Men, how many of you can relate with that? I mean, I really wanted to hurt him. I had people in our spiritual tribe come to me. They specialize in such matters and and say to me more than one. One was here last night (laughs) and say to me, Pastor Mike, all you have to do is look at me. You don't have to say anything. I will take care of the matter. (laughs) I can relate with that. I get that. I get that. And that's what we do. When we get into our own lies, again, lies and scheming take enormous emo- emotional energy, enormous time in our lives. And then we rely on the protection of others more than the protection of God. This is really the crux of the matter for David, okay? And Jonathan, frankly, uh, both of whom should know better, but David is the anointed king and the appointed king, so, so you know, he's, he's, he's there. Look at verse 18. Then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon festival. You will be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow toward evening, go to the place where you hid when the trouble began and wait by the stone Azel. It's interesting in the Old Testament how they would locate things like a stone and a tree. Trees and stones and cliffs, whatever. Just kind of interesting. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. Then I will send a boy and say, hang on, keep your finger there. Now they're involving a boy. Here's what would happen, definitely in Saul's time frame, in this time frame right now. If that boy were discovered to be in any way, whether he knew it or not, in collusion with a traitorous event, that boy and his family would be slaughtered. So now they're involving a boy in their deal, okay? Anyway, I just thought I'd point that out. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go because the Lord has sent you away. And about the matter you and I discussed, remember, the Lord is witness between you and me forever. So it's just fascinating, right, like how they're, how they're uh, kind of collaborating and stuff. And, and it's not all bad, it's just that, look, in your life, you need the protection of others. This is why I want you in a life group, I want you in a serve team, you must build, uh, guys, you must build a band of brothers around you, ladies, you must build a band of ladies around you. Uh, left to yourself, you're cray-cray. Write that down in your notes. (laughs) Left to myself, I'm cray-cray. So that's good. It's just that sometimes we can depend on others at the depreciation of the value of God, if I could put it. Like where God takes second share to others. Uh, Because at the end of the day, who is it that protects? God protects. God protects. He always does. And then just this last uh, thing, uh, and it's somewhat metaphoric. Um, We hide in fear instead of facing the situations God's called us to. We, We hide in fear. Just this one last little line, David hides in the field. David hides in the field. So where are you hiding? Where are you hiding in your life? Like, what's going on in your life right now? Now, if you read the rest of the story, go to, we're not going to do it today. I just wanted to give you it as an assignment because the downline cost, chapter 23 records it. The consequences of this behavior results in what's called the genocide at Nob, N-O-B. It's a city full of priests. The city of Nob, the, the whole village of priests, are annihilated. They are wiped out and all of their children and their entire tribe is wiped out by Saul as a result of these actions. These are the downline consequences of when you and I, you know, lie, manipulate, scheme, and, and do all this stuff. There's these downline consequences. A lot of times it's in family of origins. Uh, your kids will kind of, bec- they become like us, which is scary, right? They can become like us. So all of our you know, U-Haul full of stuff that we've got going on in our lives, kids just pick it up naturally. It's like putting your fingerprints on them, and, and that's the way it is. And so the hope is to live less in fear and more in faith, you know, less, less in, in, in modes of fear and more in modes of faith. So what does God call us to do when we're full of fear? Now we're going to go to Psalm 27. Go to Psalm 27. In this context, in this context, David ultimately resolves this issue in himself. And I put it this way on your outlines. When we focus on God instead of our fear, he helps our faith flourish. This is what God will do as we pray and worship. Now what does David do? David uh, okay, in this time period David, even though he's got fear and even though he's lying and even though he's scheming and even though it's causing a whole village of priests to be wiped out David is an artist, first of all. He's an artist. How many of you are artists? Raise your hands. You're artists. One, two. (laughs) It's just always funny. Because in first grade, all of you thought you were amazing artists. (laughs) Second grade, you thought you were an amazing artist. But eventually, someone told you, man, that's horrible and you believed it, and you quit. So I would encourage you to draw more, sculpt, carve. Anyway, David is an artist. He's a poet. Some of you used to be poets. You wrote a poet in middle school, but you haven't written written a poem yet still, I mean, to this day. Write. Anyway, he's a poet. He's a songwriter. Some of you used to write songs. Corny, I get it, but whatever. I would encourage you to write songs. He was a, he was a musician. He was a minstrel, H- and he played instruments, so he, and he could sing. He was a singer. He was a worship leader, like Pastor Marcus. Pastor Marcus and David are very uh, similar in this respect. <laughs> so <laughs> you are. Get over it. Deal with it. <laughs> but so, so he writes Psalm 27 in this context. He resolves it. He resolves it. So look at Psalm 27. Remembering that God's power is with us in the midst of our fears. Psalm 27. Just the first verse. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You see what he does? He focuses on God again. Now, he doesn't do this perfectly, obviously. It causes all kinds of drama. But he ultimately gets here. He remembers that God's power is with him in the midst of his fears. That's what you and I must do. We have to remember. We have to remember. We have to look backward and see what God's done in our lives. And not let fear stop us. Not let fear grip us. Like some of you are scared to get baptized. You know you need to get baptized. Jesus commanded you to get baptized. And some of you are scared of it. You're like, well, I was baptized as an infant, I'm all good. No. The Bible teaches you get baptized after you're old enough to understand what you're doing. In our context, that's eight. That's why I don't baptize kids under eight. Is that in the Bible, Pastor Mike? No. It's just a wisdom thing. Kids can understand understand abstract ideas by eight. They can do start beginning uh, understanding uh, you know, Jesus, the heart. You know, before eight, <laughs> I never forget one of the ways God taught me this lesson. I had a, like, six-year-old girl come to me at church a long time ago, and she said, Pastor Mike, this week I threw up. And I said, oh, that's cool. (laughs) You know, I asked her some questions about her throw up. I'm always intrigued by that, you know. (laughs) What color is it? And I I said, honey, why are you telling me that you threw up? She goes, well, Pastor Mike, so if Jesus is in my heart, when I threw up, is he out? Precious, right? But it taught me something. Now, I have a wife who has an undergraduate degree in education, and so I began to look at it from, a, you know, psycholo- you know the psychology of education, you know, curriculum development, all that stuff. And anyway, I just began asking around, how old do you let kids get baptized? And a lot of my friends were like eight years old. That's a time when they can understand things. So that's how I went to the eight-year-old deal. But but look, you I- if you have you know come to Christ you need to get baptized Jesus commanded you to do it I double dog dare you to do it to take a step of faith and get baptized and I know with the fear you're afraid of like outing yourself here's another thing that you have inside of you you think in your head you think and you're scared of this you think I'm not really good enough to get baptized that's what you think listen I'll let you in on a bible secret You never are. I'm not. You're not. Nobody is. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Ephesians, write it down. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I've led more people to Christ with Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 than any other passage. For by grace are you saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's not a, it's a gift of God. Not the result of works so that no one can boast. It's not about you being good. It's about you having Jesus in your life. It's about beginning a relationship with him. The outward manifestation of that beginning is baptism. You go under the water. It means you've died with Christ. You have have taken his cross on you by grace, like he gives it to you. When you come up out of the water, it symbolizes resurrection to, to new life. You get a new break. That's why we're called new break, because everybody needs one. You get a new break in life. That's the deal. It's a symbol. And I would triple dog dare you to put it on your socials. People are very intrigued when you get baptized. All your friends, they'll be like, what? Don't kids get baptized? You're a grown man, whatever. It's a way of like, it's viral. And invite them to the picnic. Everybody loves food, whatever. So all of that, remembering the power of God and then relying, relying on God's, you know, strength in our lives, practically speaking, day to day. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Even Saul? Even Saul. Even all his armies? Even all his armies. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble, so he makes a declaration, they will stumble and fall. That's the deal. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not Fear. Now, he's scared, but he's making declarations of faith. This is what you do when you're scared. You make declarations of faith. You you say them. I encourage you to say them out loud. Make out, you know, like uh, out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. I would encourage you to say God things out out loud, outside, outside too, but whatever, out loud. Um, Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be what? confident, confident. So you start to rely on the strength of God and you start to walk in this way even when you're afraid. I had to do this when Cody was being abused. It was a battle. It was a super battle, but I had to start making declarations of faith. God is going to come through. He is going to accomplish this. I will rescue this kid out of this uh, uh, man's home. And and it's not me, it's God in me, through me. That's what's going to happen. I had to start making, you know, declarations of faith, and then I had to focus on God through worship. I had, like, worship became extremely powerful and important to me in this time of my life. Now, I led worship. I was Marcus for about 14 years of my life. I know you can't imagine it now because my voice is kind of shot, but whatever, deal with it. Um, uh, so look at what David does. Look what he does. One thing I ask of the Lord that is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So he makes a pronouncement about worship and faith that's lifelong, okay? It's kind of like a commitment. All the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. Now, the temple's not built yet, right? We're in the time of David. So the temple's not built. Uh, for in a, in the day, who builds the temple? Solomon, his son, builds the temple. David wants to, but he's a man of war, so God doesn't want him to. He has the son do it. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set my feet high upon a rock. And so he refocuses. Now... I want, I want you to take a picture of this. It isn't anywhere, but I'd, I'd love to, for you to take this picture and kind of work on this this week. How do you kill the fears? What's David actually talking about from a practical perspective? Write down the event that's causing the fear. Maybe it's the courageous conversation that you need to have with your spouse, your roommate, your professor, whatever. Um, write down the automatic thought that comes to mind. Like, what's the automatic thought? Like, as soon as you think of having a courageous conversation with your atheistic professor in your undergrad, one-on-one, by the way, don't do it like I did, don't take him on in front of the class, it's embarrassing to professors, (laughs) so I had to learn, but, you know, so you know you have to have a courageous conversation with your professor, offline, one-on-one. So you, but what's the, uh, you know, what's the automatic thought that comes into your head? Oh, he's gonna... Embarrass me! I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose the argument. Uh, I'm gonna not do a good job. Now, these are what's called fortune telling ants. Your, your head, you're telling your, you're, you're reading the future of the automatic negative thought. That's what ants are: automatic negative thoughts. I'm telling the future. He's not gonna receive what I'm telling him. Uh, for me, in the Cody example, uh, he's gonna. I'm never gonna get him out of the court thing. He's always gonna be with this guy. Now he's 10, he's being scarred for life, literally. He has scars all over his back, whatever. And then then here's the power one, here's what David does. You talk, God talk back to the ant. You kill the ant. And the way you kill the ant is through worship and Bible talk, God talk, because the scripture's the word of God. You, you t- say to yourself, and you say it out loud, honestly. You need to say it out loud. You need to make declarations of faith out loud. And and God begins to change your heart. He begins to help you to remember His power, to rely on His strength, and to refocus on God, even in the midst of fear. The final day of court, I told you how much I paid for that attorney, right? Okay, this is the picture I took the day that Cody got out of their home. He was never, he, the court ruled he was never ever to be in that man's presence again. We won the case. My son got full custody of Cody from this point forward. So we went to God's country, we went to the pier in OB and Cody loves the pier. And this is Cody now with Nani, this is my wife. You can't see it, but there's a rainbow behind them. This is the day he got out. It was amazing. Listen to me, God will help you. You just need to rely on Him. Okay, so let's stand. We're going to worship. We're going to sing that song again, right, Marcus? The uh, sing Hallelujah. Ho- That's a good song. And Hallelujah, by the way, is a combination of two Hebrew words. It gets morphed into Greek, but it literally means a uh, praise of Yahweh, that one of the names of God in the Old Testament, Yah. Yah is, is that part of it. Hallel, the Hallel Psalms are the praise songs. There's power in your praise. The Bible says the Lord inhabits your praises. So sing hallelujahs to